Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by the great and powerful Headley Knights. Now, you may know Headley as the producer, sound engineer, and voice of Jolt on the podcast audio drama, We Fix Space Junk. Now, this is a two-part chat, so this is only part one. Part two will be released next week at the usual time. But in this part, we speak about how We Fix Space Junk got started, its inspirations, um, some of the bonus content that goes with it, including who the Automnicon voice is, or the Automni voice that you hear in every episode. But even if you don't listen to We Fix Space Junk, this is still a fantastic episode, as me and Headley spoke about loads of things. I mean, just as scratching the surface, we spoke about a musical they created about Dwayne The Rock Johnson that he found out about, uh, The Uncanny Valley, Harry Potter, General Movies, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Dungeons and Dragons, Nikola Tesla even gets mentioned. So just in part one of this chat, it's a fantastic one for pretty much anyone who wants to hear great conversations, but also especially for those who are interested in sound engineering or anything to do with that, because he talks about that sort of thing. And it's just, it's really interesting. So musicians or anyone who's into that sort of field. Now, obviously, I do implore anyone who's listening to go and check out We Fix Space Junk, as in my opinion, it's one of the best audio dramas out there. So, you know, it's free. It's fantastic. Each episode is generally about, you know, 15 minutes long. So it's not very long at all. You can just kind of dabble, see what you think. But yeah, this fantastic chat. Headley is an awesome guy. And I'm looking forward to releasing part two next week as well, because that is also an amazing chat. Now, I've also been a guest on someone else's podcast, um, the Comedy Geek Podcast, episode 11, our sketchiest episode yet. Um, I was actually featured on speaking about my favourite sketch, uh, along with a lot of other guest podcasters. So be sure to go check that out. That's the Comedy Geek Podcast, and I'll make sure I put a link in the usual places, you know, description and on social media. Now, before we get started with the main chat, there's a promo coming up for the Whispered True Stories podcast. Uh, It's a bit longer than my usual promos. It's just over two minutes long. So, you know, if you listen to that promo and it interests you, be sure to check that out. But otherwise, the usual intro music will be starting straight after that and then the full episode after that. I'll be back at the end just to talk to you guys about the usual things, you know, what's coming up and that sort of stuff. So... Yeah, thanks always for tuning in, guys. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All the usual details I'll put in the description, as well as the end of the episode, I'll add more. And, um, well, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the chat. Hello, everyone. This is Kate Karen. You might know me as the co-host of the Forgotten News podcast. And, yes, I am whispering, but... I am not whispering because I am hiding from someone or on the run. (laughs) The reason why I am whispering is because I want to tell you a secret. Only a few people know so far, and this is the secret. I am the host of a new podcast which will tell stories of true crime. Weird disappearances, strange mysteries, wild adventures, spooky things, funny things, and also stories that listeners ask me to tell. But these stories will be spoken entirely in whisper, and every story will be 100% true. In fact, is called Whispered True Stories. <laughs> For many people, hearing a story that is told in whisper makes it much more interesting to hear. 
Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I'm trying to do as normal as I can. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, I'll see where it goes. And then again, I have like an on, on mic voice and an off mic voice. So. Yeah. Um, but you, again, that, that's another thing about not wearing headphones. I'll probably speak more normally than I would if I was wearing headphones. I'll probably start doing a radio voice yeah because i find like with i find with it all it's my brain's gone numb because i was thinking about the recording which i have started now so subtle um yeah it's it is a weird one with um, when you can hear in voice because i find a lot of podcasters like um joe rogan what he'll do is he'll every guest that he has has to have the headphones on or whatever but i just can't i can't deal with that it, it annoys me too much because it's just when I hear my own voice, especially because it's like one second or half a second delay. Ah, uh, yeah, there's latency. That's mm. the big thing. With, with my interface, I have um, with and without latency. Yeah. So I'll feed people their direct, their direct volume. Yeah. So and that's kind of before it gets processed. Yeah. And then it will then go into the computer and get processed, and then I could listen to it like what I have done before, like with recording Marilyn, and um, I was monitoring her with all the effects on, mm. um, like pitch shifted and stuff. But that was like half a second out. So I just muted out her in my headphones, muted out the clean feed, and in her headphones muted out the delayed feed. So she was hearing herself normal, and I yeah. was hearing herself pitch shifted. Right, right, right. So that I would know how it would end up sounding. Yeah. Um, and she's not put off by hearing a weird voice in her head sort of thing yeah, exactly. yeah that's a good shout um, I've already started recording throw right in the deep end and yeah. so uh, I'm here with Headley of uh, We Fix Space Junk and um, obviously we met before uh, when we went to London as organised by I think it was Susie wasn't it did yeah, she it was from Casual, Casual Birder Bird. podcast yeah who um, I did a library event with her last week actually in Basingstoke oh I did see that yeah cool. that was quite fun yeah it was interesting meeting with the public and stuff but also when it was a little bit quiet it was quite nice to just chat with some podcasters who uh, were talking about doing some maybe a live podcast thing and like all kinds of different things like james of the bottomless pit podcast it's his show is very very similar to mine um of basically just different subject every sort of thing i think his from i've listened to a couple of episodes and it seems generally a bit more structured but 
you know. Um, mm. So I want to get you on it because I'm interested in um, not only just sound engineering, but also like we fix space junk and things. So um, I want to ask, obviously you're a sound engineer and you went to university. You are. Did you... Did you always want to be a sound engineer? Has that been goal um, from the beginning? I've always really been very interested in it. Like as a kid, um, in the nineties on a computer, there wasn't much to do. Like kind of before we, we had dial up internet, which we occasionally managed <laughs> to, um, you know, you could go to the shop and buy a 0800 number that would work for a couple of days and you actually got free, free connection. You had to pay for the time you were on there, hmm. but you didn't have to pay like the phone call that you made to dial up. Yeah. Um, was free which was quite a significant novelty. well as a jump back then wasn't it yeah, yeah it was great but then um then you had to go off every now and again just in case someone was trying to get through to you on the house phone i remember those days i remember playing runescape with my buddy kieran and like uh, talking on the phone and racking up a big phone bill and things like that and then well that was like obviously talking on the phone then that was slightly after dial-up so as soon as we we got through dial-up it was calling kieran all the time playing runescape but i remember before that when it was like playing RuneScape with uh, just talking on the text and stuff yeah. phone call would come through and the old internet would start to freeze and it's like oh great and then mum would be on the phone to like auntie or something and for like 45 minutes like mum I want to get back on the internet and it's like can you imagine kids these days thinking that you can't be on the phone and on the internet at the same time and also every single person in the family has the same phone number <laughs> um, and so you all could be getting yeah, important work calls oh we're expecting a call so we can't be on the internet today <laughs> Um, <laughs> just that sentence is just fantastic yeah. <laughs> I'm expecting a phone call no internet for today <laughs> oh man but, um, yeah so like having like a little sound recorder uh, on the computer and me and my sister always used to just use all the different effects and see what we could do with them um, and then yeah I guess in my teens getting into playing music and such like got me more interested in in sound again hmm. um, both as for recording our, our own music and then realizing that, you know, I didn't really have the the passion to to go for like I, it was always kind of like if I was in a band that made it big that'd be great yeah but I'm not going to um put my bets on it like I'm not going well, yeah. to going to hope that that's that what gets me famous and you know I've I've got friends who've who really went for it and they've done really well for it and, yeah, yeah and very very um kind of proud of them but I don't think uh, I, I was very much like you know what I'd, I'd my technical mind, I think, appreciates recording more. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll start recording music. And then, um, yeah, then later on finding out that actually if you can do sound, you can be very, very valuable to people who do video and TV. Mm, and definitely, definitely. Like and suddenly stepping in and if you're personable and know how mics work and EQ works and compression works, then that, that translates to TV as much as it does to music recording yeah i can imagine i was going to say because um because we we spoke um we've spoken on facebook a bit and obviously we met um, before but i was thinking um you and i have very similar sort of music tastes or there's at least a lot of things that converge so i was going to ask is um when you were young and playing music i can see in this room there's some uh bass guitars and standard guitars if i'm right um so do you play guitar then and that sort of thing yeah yeah i am drums are my first kind of love i think i mean i played keyboard growing up like keyboard lessons yeah um, which is a, is a good grounding for any you know you, you don't necessarily make anything that sounds that nice at the time but you uh you kind of get to grips with the different instruments and yeah drums was my first love and like got really into that but it's quite impractical uh, yeah <laughs> lots of massive heavy drums also i went Very expensive the, as well i went for the heavy rock kit so it was all extra big toms <laughs> yeah uh, extra big bass drum double bass drum pedal all that 
malarkey. Um, what sort of genre were you playing when you were? When I first started, I was doing uh, kind of rock. I, I mean, I, in my teens, I was very much into like seventies and eighties rock. So okay. like David Bowie, mm. Queen, um, but also like Black Sabbath and Guns N' Roses. Because yeah, the eighties was at the start basically the start of heavy metal in a sense but obviously back then heavy metal wasn't the same as what it is today yeah i mean there was there was some kind of underground well i mean people like metallica started in the 80s megadeth and that slayer and anthrax i think they're all i think all of them bar megadeth because obviously that was when dave left metallica i think they all started 81 and motley Crue, and then megadeth was like 83 or something yeah it was all roughly and then kind of like 84 they all kind of started getting big at the same time yeah i think I think they were touring together and stuff. I know that Motley Crue, because um, I've I'm I'm into the band a band called Six AM, and um, it's Nicky Six from Motley Crue, his band, along with a singer called James Michael and a guitarist who was the guitarist for Guns N' Roses, DJ Ashburn. Oh. So they made they had a project together and stuff that went out with Supergroup. Yeah, yeah, it's a they're a really really good band. They made um their albums come with. Uh, the albums were four books that Nikki Six wrote, um, so I got into really into Nikki Six's life and Motley Crue and that sort of thing. And like, Motley Crue toured with Guns N' Roses because Nikki Six became friends with Slash, so they kind of collaborated and kind of bounced off each other and things. So yeah, so it got into that. And then I know you're into some of the more uh, heavier stuff as well. Was that around that yeah. time? Yeah, uh, yeah, that that kind of started growing from there. I think the more I started playing music, I think the more I started appreciating the more kind of technical aspects. So yeah, starting from foot, kind of vague, kind of like rock, like. Red Hot Chili Peppers, and then going into you know, Foo Fighters, and then gradually getting into like new metal, mm. and from new metal getting into kind of people like Corn and people who are a bit more progressive, and then by the end of it, yeah, ended up into like more technical stuff. Like um, I listened to a lot of Tesseract and mm. um, Periphery. Yeah, oh, Periphery are so crazy technical. Some yeah. of their music is just like you just listen. To it, I'm so, I don't feel like I'm intelligent enough to actually comprehend <laughs> this. Yeah, S- Symphony X and Dream Theater and. I bloody love Dream Theater. Well, I love so. Do I say I love Dream Theater? But it's like I don't love whole albums of theirs. They just have like they've got the scenes from a memory, which is a very clever album. But like there's certain with a lot of prog rock, I find there's they're quite they're very hit and miss because there's certain prog rock songs which are like twelve minutes long, and you're like this musically is amazing, but I don't really fancy just listening to it for twelve minutes. That sometimes. is a big thing with um with tech is is the kind of tendency to veer towards music as a sport mm. as opposed to because also I think you get that in extreme metal as well like oh yeah thrash and stuff people trying to play as fast as they possibly can um and it's kind of like more of a sport than it is a, a musical listening experience but and that's the thing like i think although i love dream theater i'd say like people like symphony x who they toured with a lot um i prefer this they're still technical but they're more you know song based they're more like uh, yeah are they i guess want- poppy but um you there's more kind of coherent hmm throughput throughout it and they do concept albums which uh, you can kind of follow yeah it's concept albums it's a weird one with concept albums because sometimes you get ones which are just like um, have you, do you listen to Stone Sour or yes yeah because yeah, they had a they had a double concept album called House of Golden Bones um, and I've got it came with basically graphic novel um, oh. so Corey Taylor wrote all the story for it and he did a, a collaboration with an artist and did like a four part it's a comic series which I've got and two, obviously two albums two part and when you get the albums like the physical ones you fold them out and they connect together to make a house oh, it's crazy amazing. it's really really cool yeah but that, that's a concept album and that's one of the ones that works really really well because there's some bits of the song some bits that are a bit more aggressive and shouted and it kind of works but I've had because um, I like 
certain music when you get some of the heavier ones especially even me who's been listening to metal now for ten, eight to ten years sometimes you get bands you just can't hear what they're saying and mm-hmm. that doesn't bother me because a lot of the time i listen to unclean vocals as just like oh it adds to the music exactly kind of vocals as an instrument rather than as a lyrical practice necessarily pop music does it with O's. you know a lot of pop music yeah. is like it's like five seconds of summer have that in one of the two of their songs so it's like mm, it can like be used as melodies we're famous for it oh yeah definitely a lot of those sorts of uh, kind of rocky boy bands have that sort of thing which is not a problem Blink with that too. Like, no, we, no 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 well exactly and uh, yeah there's My Chemical Romance and loads of other ones that are just they all do that. a lot of the punky stuff when it meant like more punk rock or uh, sort of poppy punk they had a lot of that sort of because a, ca- a really catchy thing is something that you know it's repetitive it gets in your head a lot yeah. and that sort of thing and also people enjoying it like People aren't going to necessarily, like your fans are going to learn your lyrics, mm. like your diehard fans, but people who have heard it for the first time aren't going to have learned your lyrics. They don't know how to sing along. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you know, good, catchy lyrics will eventually get stuck in your head, but, you know, you can hear na 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 and you, you already know it. Yeah, but exactly. You, you do it once and then it does the second time around, and the second time around you already know what it is. Exactly. So yeah. It's already stuck in your head. Yeah. So. 100%. Yeah. Well, so, um, so you uh, you're playing music and stuff and performing and then you realise sort of was it a thing of because I've got a few mates that are in bands and things and um, my mate Callum's been on the podcast and um, he's coming on again soon and so I've had a couple of musicians on there and some of my family's musical I'm not because I'm used to <laughs> I played keyboard a little bit when I was younger um, but I know that from being close with my brother and my friends who do this sort of thing they said like studio time is often very expensive and things so like mm-hmm. was that kind of part of it were you guys kind of like when you're in the band and things thinking about recording and then you saw oh this is really expensive what kind of what was the yeah, transition I mean, there, there is like I don't think we would have ever been in a situation where we could have recorded otherwise mm. um, so kind of having having a laptop borrowing a mic from somewhere and I think yeah like our first um our first like EP my band did was like pretty much just one mic and we kind of hung it over the drum kit yeah and then got the guitarist to listen to that and then stuck the mic in front of the guitar amp and then mm. got them to listen to that and plug so some really raw sounds from that yeah and it, it was and i think they still exist somewhere and <laughs> you know like some of them were atrocious and some of them actually really weren't that bad yeah um do you still play much music now i have interest or in a um, band at all i'm not in a band no uh i do my one of my bands had a bit of a reunion a couple of years ago and we did that for a year or two which was really fun and I think it was also good because we were all like, we're all adults, we all have jobs, this is fun, we'll just fit it in when we can. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the thing that a lot of my friends are finding, it's like you have to kind of, you have like your main job, essentially the, the breadwinning job, you know, which mine's, I work in insurance, so Excitement Central, uh, and then while well, sort of <laughs> side hustle, I've heard people on podcasts call it a side hustle, which is like a passion that you do on the side, which you hope one day could maybe... Yeah. Uh, Break, come into something and obviously with me that's podcasting I'm not under the illusion that in a year's time I'm going to be making mega money on podcasting but it's like J- Joe Rogan who? oh no you mean uh, Genuine Chit Chat yeah <laughs> god that'd be the dream god, if Joe Rogan even mentioned Genuine Chit Chat on any of his shows that'd be it my, my listeners would like probably 10 times in the amount yeah. or just like oh you know what's terrible genuine chit chat that would probably give you a buck <laughs> that would right? be good people go hey, what's so bad about it let's go listen but yeah I mean that would be the dream Joe Rogan but that's pretty much impossible he's the king of podcasting or whatever but I mean think weird things do happen like we um, did a, a musical uh, before just before we launched Space Junk actually we did two musicals at the same time that was a bad idea <laughs> um, we recorded we fixed Space Junk 
And then these two shows came along and we had to basically pause it before we released it. Um, so we, we actually re- started recording over a year ago. Oh, wow. I was going to ask you yeah, that sort of thing. Um, uh, well over a year ago now, but um, we didn't end up releasing to the, to the March. Um, but yeah, we did a, one of the musicals was all based on a joke of Beth's friend. Um, I guess, I don't know if I said already on the podcast, um, Beth is my girlfriend and we make, we fix space junk together, which is a audio drama podcast. It's the best one. It got me into, it got me hooked. I'd never listened to one properly. And then I met you and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to give this a go and I bloody love it. And I've listened to it twice now because I showed uh, Megan the whole thing as well. We've been listening to it the last couple of days. But in the intro, I'll I'll give all the sort of, um, a bit more background background and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't want to just start talking about a person that we hadn't. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, good, I think go- you did mention it. fine. No, I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> just- if I don't have a script in front of me, I don't know what I've said. So. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I say, oh, I have. No, I'm joking. But um, yeah, so you and um, you and Beth, uh, you were. Yeah, so we, we did this this musical, and one of her friends um, had a massive crush on Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, yeah. Well, he's um, pretty damn good at you, you know, yeah. Who, who, who wouldn't? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But. Um, and yeah, it was. It always seemed like a very unlikely combination. She's just a massive fan of Shakespeare and cardigans and <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Right? I'd say those probably had. I'm not going to name her just in case uh, she takes offence to that. Mm. But um, uh, and yeah, she. It was a kind of unlikely combination. And as a joke, we talked about making a The Rock musical, um, and we actually ended up pitching it to Volts Theatre, and they loved the idea. So, yeah, brilliant. Um, can you do it in January? And this was in like October. And we're like, oh, we have not written it. <laughs> uh, we were kind of hoping for March, maybe, but uh, January, let's do it. So, um, we, we wrote and produced a musical. I wrote all the music and performed all the music. Mm. Um, and, you know, made it as a backing track to play out uh, on the night. And somehow Dwayne the Rock Johnson found out about it. Oh, wow. And, uh, Tweeted us wishing us luck. Is that all that is over there? It's there, yeah. I saw in my corner of my eye, I saw uh, there's a tweet from uh, Dwayne Johnson on your little corkboard with a lot of We Fix Space Junk stuff. It's a kind of inspiration wall. Like, (laughs) if Dwayne the Rock Johnson said anything to me, like even mentioned genuine chit chat, I'd be like, okay, framing that on the wall forever. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's so I think we did an interview with people who are now good friends of ours, Unseen Hour, who Mm. are an audio drama. Yeah, um, who do live shows recorded in London every every month, and they had a show on at Vaults Theatre Festival, and yeah, they did an interview with us, and then the Metro's, I think, the person who was the wrestling correspondent for the Metro, yeah, was I don't know how much wrestling news the Metro gets. <laughs> it was like The Rock is in a musical, yeah, that that's reasonable. So they linked to that video, and then from the Metro posting about it, we ended up then getting interest from like five or six different UK newspapers. Wow. And then from that, uh, presumably is where, because we, we didn't tag him in it or anything because we, we part of us was like, will they sue us? Will they tell us, <laughs> does it give us a cease and desist? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like say so he found out about it and he was, he, he retweeted the link to our ticket sales. <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, that's saying, Oh yeah. Like, uh, because uh, also it wasn't it started off as a show about the rock and ended up as being very bizarre like because we were like oh no one could really play the rock so it w- he won't be the main character it was a bit it's set in the future 
it's a young girl who's in this dystopian kind of nightmare scape and the rock is the memory of the rock is the, what gets her through <laughs> and then she has a fairy rock mother wow who is, um basically a puppet um <laughs> This sounds amazing. Is there any recording of this anywhere? <laughs> there, there isn't, unfortunately. But um, we, Teasing. we we had ideas of um, I was doing an extended run. It, it wasn't really ready when, when it was released because you know it was very rushed. And mm. um, but we got very good ticket sales, as you might imagine. If the oh, Rock yeah. <laughs> recommends it, um, and people generally really liked it. Um, yeah, definitely needed a, it. If we were to do it again, we need to redo it a bit. But, yeah, um, but it was really fun working on the music. Mm. Um, and yeah, it just does go to show you can, you can get noticed. You, know, you don't put your money on it. But, oh um, yeah. It's, I kind of, with podcasting, I look at it in the way of like, I do this cause it's a passion of mine and I'm not doing it so I can get big. That's not the, the impression. Isn't, I'm doing podcasting cause I think I'm going to make a career of it one day. It's, I started podcasting cause I got really into podcasting a few years back. And then I was just like, I was talking to some of my mates about it and I've, in the past, I've had projects going on on my own thing. Like in college, I did a YouTube show with my mate and then I did music videos for bands for like a little while. And um, I worked as a graphic designer at a cassette and CD production place. Nice. So I was graphic design. I had a hand in a bit of like low-key audio sort of stuff. And because I was graphic designing for loads of different bands and things like that, I kind of know what to do and what not to do for logos and things like that. I'm a very talkative individual and I know... It's a match made in heaven. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's like I know loads of people. So it's like I love it when... Um, when I met you and you said like um, the reason you and Beth sort of sorted, uh, started We Fix Space Junk is like well you're a sound engineer she's a script writer what could you possibly yeah, do exactly. what could there be what was could like, there audio be audio drama yeah exactly and that's the thing I mean as you say like it's it's one of those kind of hidden hidden communities because you know when we first started talking about it we were like is that a thing like could, could we do like a an, like a bbc4 style radio play but mm. release it as a podcast you know is that something we could do we started doing it and then discovered when we started kind of like publicizing it that there are hundreds out there people yeah loads of people do it and uh, and yeah some people make a lot of money from it as well yeah um, yeah but more, more to the point it was like there is an audience there for mm. doing art having a hobby that actually makes a makes a difference and you know people can hear and now you know thousands of people around the world yeah i saw you hit i think you shared on twitter a couple of weeks ago fifty thousand downloads yeah i I think not long after that we hit sixty thousand. nice yeah you do deserve it i mean it's one of those shows where it's just like when i was listening to it and i showed megan it was like well the the production quality is so good it sounds like a big budget like proper show like not insult like it's not proper but you know what i mean i I know exactly what you mean I, i was having this discussion the other day i think it's a really interesting thing about audio drama because there is such a low bar to entry, certainly with well, in podcasting in general to an extent. Um, you could, but you can make with a with the right know how, with a and you know you don't need to be an expert to start either. We can YouTube stuff anything exactly. That you don't know. I know people who have literally they've written an idea, they're like, "How am I going to turn this into a podcast?" Kind of Googled it, spent maybe fifty quid, maybe pushing a hundred. Which you know is you know it's pocket money, it's birthday, it's Christmas money. You yeah, can, it's kind of doable. Like not mm. not to say it's the cheapest thing in the world. No. Like anyone can do it. But it's like an instrument. Like you buy a guitar, like a cheap guitar, exactly, it's going to cost yeah. you hundred or so quid. It's yeah, you can, you can buy a guitar for hundred quid. You could probably buy a guitar for fifty quid, mm. cash converters or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, and you have that that entry point, and then you're in the same playing field as everyone else. Exactly. In the music industry. You don't get to just release albums. No, no. You don't get to go into a studio and 
re- record your band and then have it put on the shelves at HMV. Like, exactly. But with podcasting, you really do. And the gap between starting and getting, you know, whatever you could call the 100% level of, you know, you could get full quality shows very, very easily compared to, like, say, if you wanted to make The Avengers mm. as a film, yeah. you need a multi-million <laughs> pound special effects budget, yeah. let, alone, let alone cameras and lighting. Yeah, the, the amount of choreography and fighting and just every yeah, exactly. aspect costs millions. And even then, even, I mean, not necessarily Avengers, but, like, big budget, uh, you know, Hollywood movies, people will always still be like, oh, shitty CGI. You know? Yeah, like, exactly, yeah. It, it's just kind of like, it takes you out of it or they'll try something new and, like, even when like certain special effects are getting so good you can't even notice them anymore, they'll do something like they'll de-age a character and mm. like they're just walking around with this uncanny valley face on and you're I like I think that's what the new Ant Man, uh, uh Michael Douglas is a oh, yeah. Young, yeah, yeah, he has a flashback with him young in it and everyone was going, It looks really weird. And I was like I was like, he looks like a young Michael Douglas. Like, he looks exactly yeah. like it. And it's that almost uncanny valley sort of thing yeah. where people I mean, are a bit like, like Tron off. Tron Legacy. Yeah, with Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, yeah, and they kind of had a kind of like photo real face on him and it, and like I mean Star Star Wars, you're mm. a massive Star Wars fan, like yeah. with um Rogue One Oh Carrie Fisher, Carrie yeah Fisher, and yeah, Peter yeah. Peter Culling who played Tarkin. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And then there was a lot of debate over that and uh you know whether that was right, whether that was wrong. Um one whether it was ethical or not and two whether it was just pointless. Like w- w- would yeah. it have been better to get an actor who looked slightly like them or I mean personally for um Cushing's, I, I think. Oh yeah, Peter Cushing. I got his name wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Sorry. Um, I think the way I would have approached that is because at the very first beginning of that scene, I don't think it's that noticeable. Like you can tell that there's something that the lighting is kind of strange on him. Yeah, when he's had looking at the reflection in the mirror. Had you done exactly? Yeah. Had you done that to Hux as well? Mm. So when Hux went into that room, he also had a photoreal face because mm. you could do a photoreal face of someone who's an actor who's there so much yeah. easier than you can someone who's not there yeah yeah so yeah. had they done that with him as well and you could have blamed it on the light or something mm. then i think your brain would have been much easier to to think oh yeah these are two yeah characters who are the same talking to each other mm. um i think that would have worked better it's when he turned around i remember in i remember watching it and he turns around and you see it and it is because for people who don't know the uncanny valley it's it's when something is so so close to being the human-like. Like they use it a lot of time with robots and things like that, especially in AI and the way things look. is like If it's like 95 to 99% accurate, it's worse for people to look at than if it was like 80% because it gets so close and something isn't quite right. It unnerves it, yeah. But that's the thing. Like, I mean, you, you pick up a round object and draw two dots on it and a line and you've got a face. Well, I do that with like, cars. Like, a lot of times you drive, yeah. you see faces in cars and yeah, things. Yeah, and you do. Like, uh, you can look at a house and then there's two windows and a door and it, it kind of mm. looks like two eyes and a mouth or, you know, anything. You kind of... We're, we're hardwired to see patterns in things because mistakenly th- thinking something is alive is much better for you than thinking something alive isn't. Exactly. If, if you yeah. just think... Oh, that's just a log, a stripy log. Oh no, I'm being eaten by a tiger. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty bad. Whereas you go, oh god, that- oh no, it's just a log. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's much better. It's better feel foolish than dead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, we do see patterns in things, and yeah, like um, I did a uh, my girlfriend Beth uh, also when we did this puppet musical. She she made all the puppets. She's made puppets for 
um, Brian Cox and Robin Ince. Oh wow, really? Eric Idle. Does she know Tim Minchin? That's quite. Oh wow, Tim Minchin. Yeah, Megan's a big fan. If anyone hears any little tapping in the background or some slight reactions in the background, then we go from Megan is sat in the background. So if you hear gasps and little bits of laughing, it's like I didn't put them in After Effects to make us unpopular. It's Megan over there in the background. Um, but does um does Beth know anything about Brian Froud of interest? Oh, he's the one who did Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Ah, she um, probably would. She would certainly know people who know. Yeah. Well, um, he, um, my. <clears throat> uh, my brother and uh, sister-in-law yeah she married my brother yeah um, they I always get confused with stepbrother and brother-in-law and things like that oh, I always do uh, I always just like uh, yeah my uh, my boyfriend's sister no no my, <laughs> no, my, my sister's get my, my brother's girl no my sister's boyfriend yeah yeah, yeah. it's um they love uh, Brian Froud with you know Dark Crystal and Labyrinth being two of the big things and I think Wendy Froud his wife worked on the puppet for Yoda and Empire Strikes Back, oh. so it's they're quite big in puppeteering, and you know, especially with Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, they're two of the biggest known sort of feature-length films yeah. with big puppets and stuff in them. And he does uh, workshops in Glastonbury, uh, like they have this yearly fairy festival thing, and he goes there, and that sort of thing. Maybe when, um, maybe in the future, because I know that Beth was um, busy today, because um, you're both such busy bees. Yeah, yeah. um, maybe sometime in the future, maybe in a year or something like that, we can have. Either just Beth or both of you on. Yeah, she, she was uh, she was getting not to be here, but yeah, I'm sure yeah. she would be very happy to. Well, yeah, as I'm only to do another one. I'm only like maybe two hours away, and also um, Megan lives in Andover, so she's only really I think it took us about an hour and twenty minutes, hour and thirty minutes really to get here, yeah. um, or to the to the Airbnb nearby, and it didn't cost much for that. So, um, and we always like coming to London and stuff because we're talking about going to the Harry Potter thing and going to yeah. the, some of the museums. So Beth was in Harry Potter in. Most of the Harry Potter films, really? Yeah, she she you can actually see the Warner Brothers lot from her sister's window. Oh wow, yeah, which is where she used to live. Oh, did she do that thing where she was like a lot of extras, or like the the yeah, kids yeah. and things? No, nothing, nothing major. Uh, yeah. one, one of her friends had a full speaking part and has a wand in the Harry Potter experience. Really? Even though she got cut. Oh, like, all okay. of it, like her character got cut. Oh um, wow, God, that must have been quite devastating. Yeah, but I mean, got paid more than uh, Beth and her sisters did. But, oh, I see. Yeah. And her sisters ended up working at the, when the Harry Potter experience opened, they ended mm. up working there. And um, one of them now works for the Warner Brothers archives. Oh, wow. That's crazy. You know, everyone, I'm going to have to yeah. like get some contacts. <laughs> I also need to keep track of my stories because I'm sure I've started like two anecdotes and spun <laughs> off of them already. That's fine. That's part so of I was talking about, what was I talking about? We were talking puppets, about musicals, I puppets. I came on to Brian Froud. people who work for like the Henson Oh, really? Yeah. Company, um, which also collaborated with... Dark Brian Froud and stuff. Yeah, their, their Hensons did, were a big part of that sort of thing. I think so, it was... Yeah. Brian is a lot more of the concept design and ideas man. And then Brett, Wendy is a lot more of hands-on puppet creation. But then, obviously, the Henson company, obviously, they made the Muppets. So it's like one of the biggest... I think... Do they... So if they made Sesame Street or something as well, or they had a hand in it. I know that... A hand in it. Way, not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't as clever as I was intending it to be. Um, but yeah, man, it's... God, there's so many tangents we can go on. But that's what I love about my show is just like, I just want to... Because having like an interview, it's like I do... If you call an interview, it sounds really formal. And it's like, I've sounds like I've got all these really big points right now. Like I scribbled together like 10 bullet points on the way here. Like that's <laughs> that's as far as I go. Like just in case there's any... I need to remember certain things. Um... Yeah, we're trying to loop it back vaguely, even though some people can be like, what about this story? It's like, I can't remember <laughs> where we were. So, um, yeah, so you guys, you, did you do two musicals, you said? Because you did the rock one. Yeah, and then you and did... the other one was a Christmas one. And that oh, was okay. also puppetry. And wow. It was uh, the Fran and the Littlest Reindeer, mm. oh. um, which was interesting because the main character was called Fran. The actress who played her was 
not called Fran, but the ma- actress who played the main character in The People's Rock was called Fran. <laughs> so when we were talking about Fran, like the show ended up being called Fran as like the working title. Like, we, we'd always refer to it as Fran. Mm. But then when we started crossing over into The People's Rock and we were talking about actual Fran, <laughs> like, oh, you mean T, who was the character she was playing? Yeah. So then it's like, oh, yeah, T and... No. <laughs> it's too confusing. But T, who is Fran, <laughs> um, uh, Francesca Mintov Chiz, um, is the voice of Marilyn. I was going to say she. Marilyn. I recognise that name. Yeah, yeah. with Space Junk. It's uh, and yeah, it was it was a love, lovely to meet her through that. Um, mm. And yeah, she came along and played little Marilyn and and Marilyn's mum. Very briefly. Well, yeah, well, I'll say, um, well, as we're talking about We Fix Space Junk, I might as well get into uh, some of those things a little bit. So we obviously spoke about you kind of got into sound engineering when you were into music heavily when you were younger and things. And um, I'll, I'll talk to, hopefully, if I can uh, speak to Beth next year or whenever. Um, if you're not so famous, you're fighting off the paparazzi with <laughs> sticks and stuff. But um, I'll talk to um, Beth about some of the script writing process because I don't want to ask you all the questions and you answer them all for her. And then, but um, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell you. Well, yeah, you're, you're the producer, not the not the scriptwriter. Just script the writer. piano man. <laughs> <laughs> Just the piano man. That's great. Um, so yeah, with um, with We Fix Space Junk. So, what kind of what was the thing that made you go? Let's let's do this. Did um, did you did like Beth have a script kind of half written for a sci-fi idea or um, yeah well I mean Beth's always been a massive fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy oh, bloody love I, I assume she's heard the she's read the books it's a radio thing the radio play yeah and then there's the series and there's the the movie I've only seen the movie but I'm kind of yeah, scrubbed I, I, I'd I'd seen the movie and I'd seen the seventies TV show yeah yeah um, I watched some of that but it was a bit. It, it's very it's very naff. dated yeah that's um, the thing it's like even more naff than a lot of old Doctor Who and it's like that's yeah. pushing the boundary yeah, for me a little it, bit it was yeah it was low budget Doctor Who which in the 70s is saying something well yeah because Do- Doctor Who like they burn all the budget on like two or three main episodes and the rest of them the they're rest kind of, would be like made of cardboard well nowadays you see some of them now and it's like I, I haven't watched Doctor Who since uh, David Tennant days but like Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant I, I really liked that Doctor Who but there are the odd episodes where you're just a bit like is this even really a, like what is this <laughs> like the lowest budget things they could have because they just burn all their budget on yeah, huge like, CGI cyberman stuff is made of rubber gloves <laughs> <laughs> or mannequins seem to be very yeah. very common it's like oh we're in London it's Christmas time mannequins are attacking again it's like okay great I remember the original mannequins attacking one where they were like Madame Two Swords or something <laughs> Tom Baker maybe I don't know any Doctor Who fans would be like appalled at everything I'm going to get wrong yeah but then yeah like the, the wax works all suddenly like the waxworks, slightly wobbly waxworks, just suddenly start moving. Yeah. And then, like, I think that, like, the weirdest things that I always, always remembered as a kid was, like, the fact that the fingers all flapped down as one. Yeah. And there was a gun in their hand. And yeah. it was like, I wonder how they did that special effect. But, like, if I were to look back at it now, I'm sure it'd be atrocious. They'd, yeah. they'd just be holding a mannequin hand <laughs> in their actual hand. <laughs> but, and, yeah, so, like, she, she was, uh, like, I think a lot of people, Douglas Adams, who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide, included, I think, refers to the radio version as the audio drama as the definitive version yeah yeah because quite extensive a lot of people who've only seen the film I've, i think it's four books or something uh, yeah there's there's lots of books. thick because uh, i tried reading one of them and it was a bit yeah, when i was in school it was too much uh, for my brain yeah the restaurant at the end of the universe restaurant at the end of the universe oh, i don't know I beth, beth, beth knows all of, she's read all of them dozens of times yeah and i've listened to the the whole radio play there's for now, I think there's three original series. Then there was one, two series that came out around the noughties. Yeah, yeah. And then there's one series that came out recently. 
which I had to say I haven't listened to the, the recent one. Oh, is that, a, is that an audio drama? That's audio drama, yeah. I, I wonder how long it's going to be till Hitchhiker's Guide gets picked up by Netflix or someone to be released. Because yeah, if they have a big budget behind it, that could make some mega money. And also, like, when, when you look at when they made the, the modern Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film, um, that had really big names. Yeah, like, I loved it. Stephen Fry was the narrator yeah, of Stephen the... Stephen Fry. Like, um, and also, a lot of those a- actors and actresses have become a lot bigger. Like, Zoe Deschanel. Like, yeah. Way before um, New Girl, and New stuff. Girl or anything like that, she was Trillian. Um, Sam Rockwell, he was Zay Ford. I love yeah. Sam Rockwell, he's one of my favorite actors. <laughs> he's great in everything. He's really good. But yeah, yeah, I think John Malkovich was that guy in the, the place where they were sneezing and saying, you know, the whole. Yeah, there's a huge, huge star factors in there. So yeah, I could very much see that as being. Um, as working well. Because also, it's such a big universe. Like the, mm. the, the film. It's kind of focused on the first half of the first series, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, but yeah, the, there's loads of the original series, and then some of the books that came later then got made in the like, early noughties. And um, unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, I think one of the triggers for that was Douglas Adams passing away. Yeah, yeah. Um, was kind of oh, but like this was so good, and actually, fact, some of these were never made. Mm. And there is a character in one of the naughties ones that was actually taken directly from the audiobook oh, read really? by Douglas Adams. Oh nice, yeah. Um so he actually plays um one of the characters, um one of the characters who is constantly dies and gets resurrected, which I, I feel is, amazing. Is, is kind of a um a little nod there that I think he would have appreciated yeah. like being cast as the being posthumously cast as the one who gets resurrected but that just dies again yeah yeah that would be um, I'd love to because I obviously I don't know I've only seen the movie but even the movie I, I loved the universe like one of the reasons I love Star Wars so much is people listen to the podcast and go like not again but I'm going to say it again um, <laughs> anyone I meet I talk about it is I won't go into too much detail people but like I love Harry Potter I love Lord of the Rings and things but Star Wars for me the reason I love it so much personally is because the universe is so gigantic you know yeah you got the movies, but then you've also got the comics, you've got the video games, you've got the the, the amount of books there are, and it's like series. you ever played series. Age of the Empire, the uh, RPG? No, no, I didn't. Yeah, we've, we've got... Uh, I never played Knights of the Old Republic either, which yeah. makes me a heathen. But uh, the, yeah, Edge of the Empire is really cool. It's like Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, man, I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons recently with my mates, actually. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of... Um, I'd say it's more accessible than Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, I mean, really? Um, which, again, because I think... It's quite an intimidating thing. Now I've started playing Atri Dungeons and Dragons. It's occasionally I've realised, oh, it's a lot easier and simpler than it's the first step. You might think, yeah, it's the whole kind of kind of getting your head around. So wait, where's the board? Where, yeah. where are our playing pieces? Uh, like and getting the what, names what, of what's everything. The point? What's what's the goal? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like well, a sandbox, you, isn't it? Like you a sandbox can, you can do whatever you want, and it's like. Yeah, but what am I trying to do? <laughs> What's your character trying to do? <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of overwhelming for me a bit because I started playing with uh, my mates about six months ago or so. One of my mates is the DM, but the next campaign they're doing, which my other mate is writing, I'm not going to be involved with that because of podcasting and stuff. They're, a lot of them, they've got a lot more free time than I have. So with me, I'm just like, I'm so busy. It's like I'm hindering them being you, able to play every week. You don't want to week. commit to it and then like, oh, we, we can only meet once every two months. Well, something. that's what we've almost been doing because of me. They would want to meet like every two weeks, if not a bit more. Whereas me, yeah. I, I can make it work maybe twice a month just because... Drop in as a, as a side character. Well, exactly. That's what we're talking about. Just every now and then, if I do get a free day, you know, I can talk to the DM and if he says, 
oh this Sunday you're about to say yes like, cool let's just pop you in I can be a side character gets killed or something I'm yeah. all happy with that be a little guest star it'd be cool the yeah, cool thing about Edge of the Empire is yeah. um, I'm just going to go off mic and point to it just so the audience that's listening at home <laughs> what part of my living room that is in yeah um, it, like certainly the the starter mission or starter mission I don't know what you'd call it mm. um, campaign does have a goal uh, that you're kind of trying to go towards. You don't actually have to follow it, yeah. Um, but there, there is that kind of ongoing driving force, and there are some pre-rolled characters, so you can play them, and equally you can make your own characters. Mm. And you can follow that story. The dice sim- system is simpler. I mean, it's if you're used to D and D, it wouldn't be simpler because you'd have to learn new dice system. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's essentially like the red ones are your battle dice, the yeah. yellow ones are your whatever dice, and like, like utilities and yeah, that like, sort so of thing. Th- this is this is if you're getting attacked. This is if you're attacking. Which one wins? Oh, you got more on the yellow dice than you did on the red dice, so you win. Or yeah. they got more reds. Or yeah, that makes it as more. Of the, yeah, because D and D's been around for ages. Because uh, some Stranger Things they were playing decades, it in that. Yeah, yeah. It was the original RPG? Because it was like along with those um, those adventure books. You know, you read like the yeah, turn to page. Like, yeah. which would you like to do? Turn to page yeah twenty seven. If you do, if you want to open the door, turn to page eighty three. If you want to kick down the door, and it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah that choose your own adventure things. Yeah, they're Very crazy. Cool. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think D and D was actually based on. Um, based on army, uh, like reenactment. Style. Oh, really? Like, yeah, oh, that's interesting. They'd their their parents were into like civil war reenactment and stuff, and there was like tabletop war games. That, mm. um, and again, your your listeners who know about D and D will be like, "That's that's not true." <laughs> <laughs> that's, you've missed a vital point. But yeah, they they based it on like um, uh, you know, battle reenactment kind of strategy things, and they'd mix that with their kind of comic book. That's awesome. Heritage. Yeah, it was, it's such a cool game. It's one of those things where it sounds quite overwhelming to kind of get into, and the, the first few first few sessions are a bit of a drag because everyone's kind of getting used to stuff. But once you all know what you're doing, you get in a battle and you start doing that sort of stuff, and it kind of gets yeah. more and more. I do also like your giant globe over there as well. I was yeah. admiring that. That, yeah. that uh, wooden little barrel next to it is the best dice box she laser cut. Oh really? Um, yeah, because my mate's got a dice tower where he bought it online, where it's like been laser cut and you open it up and it's like a castle and you drop the dice in the top and it rolls out. We talk about laser cutting some of days, yeah. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Um, how do we get on? Do I, oh, I was talking about Star Wars because I love the big universe of it, oh, yes. which was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Space Junk. Yeah, how we started Space. So yeah, like um, I think uh, Beth actually found some notes from early uni where she'd started talking about this character who went around space fixing things. Yeah. Um, there's a website that is completely free to use called uh, LibriVox, mm-hmm. which is basically audiobooks, right. free audiobooks. Oh, so it's just got like, all the ones that are on Amazon permanently free. Is it got like, those sort of yeah, ones listed it, in Yeah, basically, it's all voiced by volunteers. Oh, okay. And it's all public domain books. Oh, so the old, like Shakespeare and sort of that sort <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah, so you've got, you got things like uh, Shakespeare and Frankenstein and, you know, kind of the classics, but also you have some contemporary stuff as well because... When sci-fi was beginning, it was largely in magazines, or yeah. saying what would be referred to as the time as magazines. Kind of, there'd be books, yeah. But um, you you maybe order this book, you'd get a book every month or two. Oh, months one in. of those things, yeah. And yeah. they'd have a collection of short stories in, maybe a couple of articles in. Um, but yeah, you or I might think of it as a book, but referred to as magazines, and writers would sell their stories to them, uh, and this is people like. H.P. Lovecraft. Oh wow! And, okay, you yeah. Know, like, um, um, he, he's basically start off the whole um, Cthulhu is probably the most famous Cthulhu, thing yeah, he, yeah, he's the, done that people the, know the of the Elder Gods and mm. the old gods and stuff like that. Um, 
but also Arthur C. Clarke, uh, Philip K. Dick, who mm. wrote um, Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the books that Blade Runner was based on. Yeah. Um, and to L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, wow. They, well, yeah. yeah, good old Scientologist. <laughs> Classic sci-fi writer. Uh, I think he wrote more fiction than any other person Maybe got carried, around, carried away with it. He never did. Apparently, he never did drafts. Apparently, he just wrote. Really? Yeah, apparently. from I think, I'm not sure for every single book, but I remember hearing almost every book that he did, he, he just didn't was even... the first draft. Yeah, it was just the first draft and he released it because he released more fiction than any other human on the planet, yeah. which is just crazy, you know. I'm not going to yeah. get Scientology, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's another whole rabbit hole. <laughs> I could talk about Scientology for hours. Like yeah, I've watched the Louis Theroux doc on it. I've watched um, so, just a couple of podcasts with Joe Rogan. With so hard to even get your head around the fact that a sci-fi writer who wrote about aliens and gods would then suddenly be like, "Oh, but this one's real." Yeah, well, ignore all these ones, but these select couple—they're actually real. And it's like I think he was actually quoted saying, "If you want to make more, mo- the way to make the best amount of money is by starting your own religion." And he yeah. said that, and then a few years later, he just started his own religion. It's like, well, yeah. come on. <laughs> I think there are certain political figures at the moment who have been quoted as <laughs> <laughs> jokingly saying they'd do what they then went to do. Yeah, well, like the the Trump thing, where it's like, if I yeah, I, like, I'd never get into politics, but if I did, I'd run for the Republicans because yeah, they're, they're the dumb ones or something like that. Yeah, they're, like, they're easy to manipulate. You just... Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, and then he just suddenly... And he, he did was, it and he's like, oh, well, I guess well, you, you were right. Yeah, you, well, you stuck to your word, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, with... Um, so um, Beth found some old sort of notes and things of this. Yeah, of, yeah. So that, that was probably like, I don't know, uh, six years, six, seven years ago. Okay. Um, if you don't mind me asking, there. how long have you guys been... You know, have to go We've to, been to get the details. Three, three and a half years. Okay, nice, yeah. So... um. And yeah, so she found these things, and I think there was a a LibriVox story mm-hmm. that she really liked. Um, that was it's called the Repairman, and it's really it's one short story, and it could have been so much more. It could have been a whole world. Yeah, and it was just this whole concept, and this is like uh, I'll probably get the date wrong, but I'm pretty sure this one was 1940s, maybe. Oh, crazy! Between yeah. 1920s and 1940s. That's super old school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like Lovecraft was. 20s i think well you had like people like hg wells doing war of the worlds in the late 1800s yeah then yeah. like 20s i think you had lovecraft yeah i think jr tolkien i know that's not sci-fi that's fantasy but he, he was after yeah. one of the wars i can't he yeah. went off the war came back and wrote yeah, it, I that think. was 30s i think yeah yeah uh, maybe 20s 30s 40s they're, they're that kind of we yeah, have wartime era yeah um and yeah he he was talking about all these futuristic things and it was really amazing reading uh, or listening even on LibriVox to um, this story about a guy who just goes around space fixing stuff yeah and and like the he had like a drone that mm. he sent down and it was just like so yeah I had this little remote control thing that I went down and it had a a lens on it that would take photos and send those photos back to me and yeah and I could over the radio. Oh, and, crazy. And it's just like, you're talking about stuff that genuinely got invented. Well, <laughs> like have, have like you, 100 years, well, 80 years later. Well, do you hear about like Tesla? Have you, I don't know how much you know about oh, him. Nikolai Tesla. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he was like, he said that one day there's going to be things where everyone's going to have a device in their pocket and everyone's going to be interconnected by this. He used a word which isn't, it's not internet, but it's a word that is used 
is still a common word and he used yeah. it. He, he, I can't remember what he called it. It's some sort of, I think it's network. He yeah. said there's going to be this network and everyone's going to be able to communicate with each other with something in their pocket. Like just but, be able to transfer information and we'd have. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I just can't do it. He said, I don't, I've got enough projects on my plate at the moment yeah. and I'm too busy and I'm not the guy. I haven't worked out all the kinks. So it's yeah. not going to happen yet, but it's going to happen at some point. And this, this is like the eight, like late 1800s, I think it was, or yeah. mid 1800s. And he was talking about how the internet was going to be a thing. And you're like, like, imagine talking to him. Like, apparently he was not great socially. I think he married a pigeon or something, or he fell in, he fell in love with a pigeon. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's I think he mental. was a little bit of a social, social reject, which is often where the greatest mm. people are. It's just people who, who can't, like, maybe connect to the greater world, maybe mm. have more going on inside. Right? Yeah, but some people are just genius level, uh, like, another tangent. Have you, um, cause you mentioned Joe Rogan on it. Do you listen to Joe Rogan very much? Uh, I've not listened to it very much. I listen to Do you listen pieces. to Elon Musk one? I have listened. You to should give that a go. Yeah, it's I'd very like interesting. Yeah, it's it's quite a long one, and in it, Elon Musk smokes weed with Joe Rogan because obviously you know, everyone seems to, and it's legal um, where he lives as well. Oh, and yeah, apparently, right. their stock <laughs> prices dropped horrendously oh, really? the next day. Apparently, they've evened out again now. But as like, there's all this big thing about it, you know, him being a CEO, and I think Tesla, they're quite strict on not doing drugs and working and all these sorts of other things but it was it's a really interesting interview because the first the first 20 minutes half hour is kind of uh i don't know rough in a way like clunky probably i'd say best way but after a while they get more in tune but you can tell the way tesla tesla the way elon musk is thinking and talking stuff is like it's not the same at all. Like Joe Rogan's an intelligent guy, but he's not a genius, but he's just an intelligent guy. Uh, and when he talks to people like Sam Harris, who are, I'd say geniuses, but then you get Elon Musk and he's just, the way he communicates, you can tell when he just, he says exactly what he needs to say and no more. Have you, have you played Elon Musk's video game? No, I haven't. He designed a video game when he was like 10. <laughs> I know he created he, PayPal, I think. You, but... you can play, you can play the video game he designed when he was 10 online now. Really? And it, it's not bad. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, a little more complicated than Pong, but mm. you know, it, but it's just like for a ten-year-old. Also, like given his, he'd probably at forty, fifty, something like that. I think he's around eight forty. Yeah, I think yeah. So, so when he was ten, like this is like we're talking eighties, nineties. Yeah. So like he was designing video games then. Yeah. As a ten-year-old, whereas like, nowadays it's a whole. You know, now you can buy a gaming laptop and you can start coding on there. Get a couple of uh, some of those things on Steam, which you can create your own game with. Yeah. Start from there, kind of go and eventually create your own thing, and then once you've done that, you can get into more complicated stuff. But when you're that age, like you go look at computers in the eighties, and it's like a lot of the time yeah. it's just black screen and a green text, and yeah. it was like just typing in code. Exactly. Like yeah, it would have been binary or basic maybe, and yeah. then like. I don't. I don't know enough about coding. I don't think C plus plus or anything was invented at that point. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not knowledgeable that much about that sort of thing. But I, I would imagine it yeah, hasn't been because it's probably language changes or something like that. And it's just, yeah, very, very intelligent guy. Yeah. Um, so I definitely recommend everyone to check that. It's just, it's just interesting hearing because you can have an interview with someone like Elon Musk, but it's generally quite. He's, it's all scripted it's focused all that sort of stuff, and it's always interesting hearing someone of that magnitude of intelligence. But you can tell he's not. He he's very very intelligent and he understands people, but it's not the same level of social understanding as Joe Rogan in a way. Like yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan, you feel like could have a conversation with anyone. Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah, yeah some people I think conversation isn't their strength. Yeah, you have to kind of like I've had a few. Also, I mean, Elon Musk is not his. We don't need to. language. Well, well exactly. He's from Africa, and... isn't he? Um, yeah. He's. Uh, South African or something. He, he's a hodgepodge of various different. Um, yeah, I, I knew he wasn't from Europe or uh, America, and I was quite surprised. And he bet he does have a, a kind of twang in his accent, but it's not like really obvious. But yeah, it's some of those. 
He's from South Africa. Mm. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, producer. Oh, <laughs> maybe English is his first language. Then I don't know. Well, uh, pff, I don't know. But, I don't know. Yeah, but it's still it's so impressive if what everything he's done is just yeah. mind blowing. Um, but yeah, Joe Rogan can talk to basically anyone. I think he's got that. You have to. I think it's one of the things that will tangent again. Uh, is that's gonna be the word of the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is with certain people you meet, and they're really there's different intelligences you can kind of measure. Yeah, and it's like, about like uh, emotional intelligence and social intelligence. And yeah, exactly. And so there's certain people like with me, my intelligence is I'm I'm a jack of all trades, master of none in the sense of I know small amounts about everything, and I've kind of dabbled in a lot. Like I'm no I'm no writer, okay, but I've written stories um, before just for the sake of it, and I wrote like um, I wrote like I was writing in a journal for a while. I was contemplating writing a book on my old laptop. I've got part of a book I was kind of writing which was uh, it was, a fi- it was a non-fiction it was just kind of me it's basically me doing the podcast but just typing it out essentially typing, yeah. my, my views and life and things um, and then you know I've I've there's a rap song I did on online um, do you need to pause or are you alright? no no sorry that's cool um, it's there's like a so I've kind of dabbled in a few things but I'm not an expert in anything but that's kind of why with me doing the podcast I kind of like that sense of oh I can hopefully I can talk to certain people about almost anything. Cause I, if really with a lot of people with their passions, like if they're really into, let's use drumming as an example, I've got a mate who's a drummer. So I probably know more than the average word on drumming, but substantially less than a musician. Mm. So I can ask. That's a brilliant right place question. to be an interview. Yeah. Just well, that's it. Yeah. Having that broad subject of knowledge, like, cause that's the thing. Some people, um, have masses of information, masses of knowledge on one subject, but, yeah not much on anything else. you could talk about other things and it's like oh, no idea yeah exactly yeah, actually having a broad knowledge base and, and I, I always try and keep a, a broad knowledge base um so that you know you, you do and again yeah i mean like you'll see i've got like probably six or seven guitars there i've got like four or five different instruments downstairs when you mentioned about being a drummer studio. as well and you can yeah. do sound engineering so you can do all the synth stuff so that's the thing so like i mean I, I i played a lot of instruments but i was never like amazing at any of them mm. but knowing all of them coming into music production mm. it was suddenly very useful because one i could you know put a song together myself but yeah so recording any given instrument i understood where that musician was coming from and what they were doing and um when i got into tv learning about cameras and VT and all the other kind of elements of um, television and understanding those, making sure I understood those means that it's easier to do my job because yeah. I now know who I'm dealing with and what, what it is their want and they're expecting. And, mm. and just having a broad knowledge base is, is very commendable. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things when I was kind of, you know, I'm not one... I'm not one to really believe in, in fate, uh, that sort of uh, thing in my own beliefs and stuff. But like, it was, it was like a, a very pleasant coincidence. It, it made me feel like this is kind of, it sounds so grandiose, but also what I should be doing in a way, which is kind of how I feel about you and Beth and we fix space junk. It's just like, it's just like, there's so many, there's so many people who, you know, they go, I want to make an audio drama. So they start learning everything from scratch and get good at it. But it was you guys, you know, you obviously, you've you got together your relationship and then, oh, well, I'm also a scriptwriter, you know, and obviously I do sound engineering. We can create this thing. We've got loads of contacts and people we know from these little pieces as well. And then obviously you did the musical and all these little things kind of intertwine into like a very nice thread. And with me, it's like, you know, as I've kind of, I dabbled in YouTube and music videos and my friends are in bands and I like, like every genre of music and 
and you know i used to read quite a lot but then i'm into tv series and movies and da, 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 but i'm not an expert in anything at all uh, like there's that's the thing with me i can so that's kind of uh, like perspire to be the the joe rogan is just like i think my a lot of my intelligence is either sort of kind of problem solving i'm fairly good at but social in a way of just when i talk to people one-on-one even if they're people who are quite introverted and um can be quite hard to talk to usually i can get a good conversation out of them but you do find when doing a show like this you know where i talk to a huge amount of people you can tell when there's people who are musicians you know so you can almost just ask one question and let them go because they're promoting their <laughs> band they're often the front man they know exactly what they want to say and what they want to do but when there's other people who are quite introverted and they've got loads to say but they're not necessarily that confident there's certain people who i've heard like certain podcasters who i'm trying to get better at it because i'm not obviously perfect but you get certain podcasters who either say give them a question and then they they leave them and then the person starts to almost drown in their own words because yeah, some oh, people will just, uh, yeah, they'll just talk and talk and talk because they're looking at the, I imagine they're looking at the interviewer and being like, are you going to, they don't want to stop talking because they want to be in yeah, awkward like, silence. So they just keep going and going and going. And sometimes as an interviewer, you do have to steer the conversation a exactly. little bit. I find that really interesting about, um, I used to, used to listen to quite a lot of Mark Maron. Um, and before I got into audio drums and have time for anything that was audio <laughs> drums, um, and yeah, like I, I found his interviewing style very interesting because often he would subvert the the direction of a conversation and talk about just random stuff about it. like they'll be telling a an anecdote that maybe he's not necessarily pre prepared, but they probably told a few times before, and he just pick up on one element and so tell me more about that. Yeah, and they'd be a bit like oh oh, um, <laughs> and and they go kind of like, oh well this, and then they just talk a whole lot about how that what they did at school in indianapolis or something and you're like oh but i went on to hollywood it's like yeah 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 exactly and, and, and actually get a really interesting nuanced interview that's like tells you a lot yeah from something that would have just been so i did this then this then this then i went to film school and then i did this and that, then i went to saturday night live and- yeah exactly and it, it is that kind of thing i mean i didn't used to think this way um, but people have told me it, but I sound like such a dick saying it, but it's like people saying interviewing, there is like a knack to it. There's an art to it almost, mm. but I'm not saying I'm some sort of grandiose artist well, or anything. Know, I mean, but like, there's some things you're good at and some things you're not good at. Exactly. And talking to and at people <laughs> is one of my talents. Um, so with um, your girlfriend laughing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you said at. Yeah. When I said the, when I was like, talking to people. Yeah. Talking at people. Yes. Agree. <laughs> yeah. But with, um, if we fix space junk out of interest, um, do, have you found like, well, oh, right, let's, I'm starting loads of half sentences. Let's try that again. <laughs> um, at the end of, uh, all the episodes, I like hearing the sort of musical, uh, stuff. It sounds yeah. weird, but it's like you, I, I saw on Patreon that you're going to be, uh, either you have or you will be releasing, uh, the music of We Fix Space Junk at some point. Yes. Is that going to include, like, this is only for me. This has nothing to do with the listeners. I think anyone else cares. <laughs> but me personally, like, I love hearing, it's only about 20 to 40 seconds at the end of each episode where you've got the Automaton voice talking over it saying rate, review, subscribe thing. That, is that one piece of music that you take chunks out of? Or? That is composed every week. Oh, okay. And it's the last thing that happens. So the episode is done. And when it's basically re- all but ready to upload, I, write the last bit of music yeah and that will be usually in the early hours of the morning and it's actually really relaxing because it can be quite stressful working to a deadline um especially considering we we have day jobs um and work long hours so sometimes some weeks it's a closer cut mm. um thing than others 
But yeah, sometimes if it's just like been working up to the deadline and then, yeah, okay, it's done. So now all it really needs to do is be, I mean, it all just started off as just like, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Yeah. And we didn't want to take people out of it too much because it's fiction. So yeah, especially if you're episode after episode. Exactly. Because, in bulk. You know, in this, in this I can say, rate, r- subscribe to We Fix Space Junk on iTunes. Like, yeah. but, like it's not a weird thing, mm. but... I mean, it's a bit weird. Just, <laughs> just in the middle of this podcast. Just, uh, by the way, we fixed space joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in, in our show, it kind of feels like the whole thing is, I mean, we do credits and stuff, but yeah, it just seemed a bit weird to just do it. So we we tried to keep it in... Un- in universe. In, in universe, yeah, yeah. To, to an extent, or at least kind of grey, uh, blur the, the fourth wall slightly. Yeah, well, that's kind um, of a fun tongue-in-cheek sort of things. Yeah, and then that, that ended up becoming... Because it all started off as just glitchy voice and then got glitchier, then music started creeping in, like synths started creeping in, vocoders and stuff. And um, yeah, and I think there is a tier, a higher tier of Patreon that has access to all the music so mm. far and just in a... It's in an RSS feed yeah. on podcatchers and also a Google Drive okay. folder that they can just grab other, like, with vocals, without vocals, whatever they want. But um, we're, tr- we're wanting to streamline that. And basically what we're planning to do is release that possibly on Bandcamp mm. as an album, yeah, kind of like the soundtrack of, and also release an Automnicon album that is all original music, full-length songs. Oh, wow. Written by me and Beth and... That will be coming at some point. That's awesome because I'd I'd love to hear both of those because you know, I was saying to Megan, I, the music, uh, <laughs> doggos. Um, I love hearing. Um, it's great. I'm just excited. My dogs. So it's. <laughs> um, but yeah, with um, with the music at the end, I, I love the sort of style of it because it's got. Obviously, I like a wide variety, but I do really like heavy music, and it's got. You can hear the heavy elements of it, of the, especially like with the. I find them. So not very musical. So like the, the the drumming, for example, is quite key in it. You can hear it quite loud, and it's got a lot of crash in it and things like that. So I like hearing that at the end of the episode. And it's like when I saw that thing on Patreon because I support you guys on Patreon. But it's like when I saw that I was like, I need to when you release that on Bandcamp, so I need to get in on that and yeah. listen some of that because I think just all those little bits I can hear how cool that music sounds. I'd love to hear more. Like, do you? I know you say you're not in a band anymore, but do you have? On the side, I think, do you release any music or do you kind of subtly write anything? Or? No, really, to be honest, like, uh, it'd been such a long time since I'd done a creative project. And, you know, I have probably like, since I was, I don't know, 15, 16, probably got hundreds of half begun ideas for songs that kind of like, I do one session working on it. Oh, yeah, I'll come back and finish this and never do. And so <laughs> yeah. I've got lots of first verses and a chorus of <laughs> dozens of dozens of songs. And, um, and one really lovely thing was with We Fix Space Junk is having an excuse to write music and be creative. Yeah. And, you know, the theme tune, obviously, I wrote. And most probably, I don't know, maybe 75% of the episodes have an original song mm. or an original piece of music in them somewhere, um, which is, yeah, just really fun to do. It's a really nice outlet. So um, being able to do the album will mean that it's not just having to work in around stuff. It'll be... Um, have space for the songs to breathe um exactly what we're going to do i'm not sure yet but um yeah i think it was a, a goal when we passed a certain amount on patreon that we'd do an album and yeah. a book yeah and i saw the book, book. that's is a great already idea. yeah it's already in production it's already started being written and um, mm. beth is working away on that it's i think i can tell you it's um 
about an intern who works for Automicon. Oh, so it's actually its own... Because I think what I saw online was the... Um, is there a version of the script that's basically been released um, on, I think, Kindle or Easter or something like that? The, 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 we are working towards that as well, yeah. I think we're, we're planning to do these scripts because um, we have PDFs of all the scripts. Mm. Um, and I think we're thinking of doing a a book of the scripts, but yeah. also a book of... Oh, actually, we, we have... Um, there are monthly Patreon PDFs that are little in-world documents. Mm. So there's little bits that are like... Um, the reports of when they found the ship and yeah. uh, stuff like that. So little tidbits, in, yeah, in inward tidbits, and yeah, I think it's um, yeah, but this is going to be a, a novella, um, so like shorter than a, a novel, kind of mm. longer than a short story, um, but about an intern who works for Automicon, and I believe it's going to be intertwining with the plot slightly. So oh, there be, awesome! There will be way points that people who listen to the show will recognize and then people who have read the book will then notice in the so show. with, with uh, an, an example obviously you'd have to confirm deny any of this but like if so it would be like um, what i'm thinking of is with uh miss not miss lamb no it is miss lamb um when there's a point where she talks to someone who is um about old in i think it's towards the end of series one with like the sort of after credit bits there's points where she's talking to colleagues like oh da 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 and talking over the intercom and like maybe they, the obviously not asking you to confirm dice, but in my head it's almost like, oh, the intern that got put down, they were a friend of the intern in the book, and those sort of little tiny details. Which have you been hacking my computer? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I was going to ask also with Atomicon, the, the voice of Atomicon, um, which is you know we fix space junk. Did, is that you or is that someone else? Um, Unless it's secret, some sort of maybe it's George the, Clooney as a sub. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want us to say. Have you been hacking my computer? <laughs> um, uh, no, the deep voice is Beth. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, all of the... Um, we're the dun, dun. Kind of, yeah. Well, and there's that, the dun, dun, dun. Well, hello to Atomicon. Who's that? Is that the same? Is that also Beth? Um, oh, yeah, that's Beth. So, like, doom, doom, doom. Yeah, the, well, the kind of your mission today. Music. Your mission. That's all yeah. Beth, yeah. Oh, wow. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's... We, we always called it the Miranda Hart voice because... <laughs> um, uh, yeah, if you if you pitch the, sh- the formants of Beth's voice down by about... 4.5 for everyone at home who wants to make my girlfriend's voice sound like automaton um <laughs> you're down by like four uh four semitones the formant though not the pitch mm. and yeah it creates this really interesting thing because when you pitch shift you if you just kind of do a straight pitch shift you bring everything all the frequencies the most natural way to do it is actually change the, the speed of it mm, yeah so if you play something slower it'll be lower pitched because mm. the vibrations are just getting longer the wavelengths are getting longer which is a lower pitch um but with pitch shifting there are lots of little algorithms that will to try and keep something the same length it does a bit of okay so what we're going to take these these waves and multiply them a few times or like cut them up and then uh, you do get some artifacts from that where it doesn't sound entirely natural but Mm. sometimes that works yeah and formants are basically you keep the same note but the tonality and the timbre is dragged all the way down and Mm. that's often where you get in some ways, a more natural sound because it, as in, it actually sounds like a lower pitch person. And because Beth's in it as herself, as the Autumna voice, um, and she's also like Samantha's mum. Yeah, um, you could briefly hear on the phone a couple of times. Yeah, I think at the end of um, the last episode, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the last episode, Sam rings home. Although apparently, we did we did get some people contact us who were a bit like, "Who was on the phone at the end?" It's like Samantha's mum. 
oh, that was Samantha. I, I didn't look at, and like, oh, it's, I just realized Dax says, oh, yeah, are you sure I'm meant to do this? And she just says, yes. And like, we, we didn't actually I say who. Yeah. that was Mike. Yeah, Megan. So I heard it and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Samantha's mum. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, it is. And I was like, okay, I'm fine. Yeah, I was yeah, pretty no. certain. <laughs> I listened to the whole show basically twice over because I listened to it once, loved it. And when Series 2 sort of was coming out, I said to Megan, I was like, you need to hear this because... You had to be very careful in, in audio drama as well because another thing about not having the visuals, like, in fact, I think the very first tangent I was going on was about how, you know, you can have a million pound CGI budget and still not quite, it's not quite right. Mm. But with audio, you can have much better cgi because mm. it's just what people are picturing in their heads and well, like so you, exactly you, you're not gonna no one's gonna be disappointed with the visuals because they're their own visuals mm. and it means different people see it differently and different people have different interpretations of how people look yeah um but equally it does mean on the flip side you have to be very careful because if you just suddenly see a character on the screen they don't even say a word you know who it is yeah but with audio you don't you, mm. you can only work out from the voice or if someone's mentioned them yeah or like subtle things like if you've got a character um like if you had hulk for example if we say we yeah. were doing an avengers one if you had hulk you could hear a grunt and then some footsteps like, yeah big flooded and then you go oh here here comes the big guy and then you know immediately so it's and there's other things with some if someone's got jangling keys or if their personality is covered in leather you could hear the leather move but yeah. it's, it's all different so yeah equally if if you know like Bruce Banner just said, hmm. And then, like, Hawkeye said, hmm. You, you <laughs> yeah. wouldn't necessarily exactly. know, like, quite, you know, similar voices. And if you, they said a full sentence, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know which one that is. But, yeah. yeah, so you do have to be very careful. And I don't think we've really ever had that before. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think that was the only kind of slight one. We had a few people just double-check with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think someone thought it was Marilyn. I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is just going to really confuse people. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. Is it? Um, what have you found? Um, what have you found is one of the biggest challenges that, that was unexpected for making an audio drama? Time. And that's the end of part one. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Uh, next week will be part two. So, you know, that's something to look forward to. Uh, and in the coming weeks, I've got one episode recorded with Dr. Glenn Livingston, who's written a book called Never Binge Again, um, which has sold over 600,000 copies. So, you know, that's quite interesting. It's a really intriguing chat of how he sort of talks about how that works and things. Um, and then I've also got a two-parter recorded with a guy called Junior, who runs essentially a clothing brand called... We the lifers. It's a bit more of a clothing brand, but that's kind of the easiest way to explain it quickly without having to get into the sort of specific details that he gets into on the podcast. Um, I've got a couple of episodes coming up that I should be recording. A couple over Skype, similar to Dr. Glenn Livingston, uh, and then also a couple more with friends and things, a couple of familiar guests. So that's something to look forward to running up to the Christmas period. Um, I think that's more or less it for the time being. Um, you know, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as usual. Um, Instagram, I also put up movie reviews, and I go to the cinema a fair amount, so it's new movies as well as other ones. I, I just did one today of Easy A, because me and my girlfriend watched that, and I hadn't seen it, so, you know, why not? I also post about certain other things I'm doing that are vaguely interesting, and a lot of the episodes, I also add uh, photos with them. Uh, one of the ones I did last week with Sophie, I've also put up a post about Iceland, some of the sites from Iceland, which is quite cool. Uh, and one I did a few weeks ago as well, I did with my mate Alex, and we spoke about his tattoos and his tan lines of his flip-flops on his uh, feet so there were photos of that as well so you know it's uh 
it's good to follow me on Instagram. There's also 30 second snippets of all the episodes I do. Um, so I put them up there uh, when I release the episode. So if you subscribe to us on Instagram, you don't have to subscribe onto the standard podcast things. But if you did both, I would very much love that. And it would make me a very happy bunny. So, you know, no pressure, but I will cry tonight if you don't do it. Anyway, I think that's it really, guys. Um, thanks as always for tuning in. I really appreciate everyone listening this far. Uh, hit me up on any of the usual, usual social media channels if you fancy a chat. And um, yeah, thanks as always, guys. And I'll talk to you next week.